1: faith talk tampa online at letstalkfaith.com download the faith talk tampa app
0: following is sponsored by verse by verse ministries and is pre-recorded
1: so as you compare scripture with scripture, the filling of the Spirit, you, the way you are filled or controlled by the Spirit, is to let the Word of Christ, which is the Spirit of God's Word, the Bible, control you, dwell in you richly. That's that's how you do it. That's the heart of all ministry. How else would He control you? How, how would He control? How would you be under His control except listen to Him? How'd you listen to Him? The Word of God, it's His voice.
0: Ephesians five eighteen tells us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that's not some mystical, ecstatic experience, it just means to be controlled by Him. Colossians 3.16 says much the same, but in different words, let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. The connection between the Word and the Spirit who inspired it should be obvious. Among other things, we'll consider those two passages as they relate to 2 Corinthians 6, verse 6, today on Verse by Verse. Welcome. Our study leader is Pastor Steve Kreloff, teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today's program is the last part of a three-part message from 2 Corinthians and is part of a series of messages from chapter 6 about hindrances to the gospel. If you missed any of the previous broadcasts, stick around. I'll tell you later how to catch up. Actually, in this verse, Paul gave six aspects of his ministry that did not hinder the gospel. Let's pick it up now with what Paul labeled knowledge.
1: There is a price that you and I pay for enduring in our knowledge of Christ. There is a price we pay for not embracing as a church every gimmick and fad that comes down the pike. There is a price we pay for not embracing the whims of, of people and letting, and letting new fads dictate our biblical approach or our message. You know what that price is? You get criticized. We're criticized as a church for being out of touch with the times, being too traditional. We're, we're dinosaurs in a spiffy age. We're dinosaurs. You know what? That's all right. Encourage your heart. Encourage your heart by, by what Paul's perspective was. Paul never let himself be influenced by, by passing fads. In fact, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This will encourage your heart because you know what? These fads come and they go. These fads come and they, and they go. Just what they said about Spurgeon. Only the reason Spurgeon has endured is because he preached the gospel. He didn't change his message. He preached Christ. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul tells us about the pressure put upon him to alter his message. He said in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, and when I came to you, speaking when I came to you at Corinth, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. That is to say that I didn't embrace Greek philosophy. I didn't try to impress you with my knowledge of of Greek mysticism and the mystery religions. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Isn't that great? He says in verse 3, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Even though Paul was fearful and he trembled, probably thinking, what were they going to do to me when I preached this message? He says, in spite of that, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. In essence, Paul said, I didn't come giving you my opinion. Who cares about my opinion? I want your faith to rest not on my opinions, but on the word of God. So I preach the word. I preach Christ and him crucified. I don't want to know about Greek philosophy. I'm not not here to preach Jewish law. I'm here to preach Christ. That's what we do. We endure in knowledge. And I hope that you do that. I hope that no matter uh, what's popular today in Christian circles, that you will focus on Christ. And in him are all the treasures of wisdom. He is our message. We preach Jesus as Lord and ourselves as servants for Christ's sake. So Paul endured in purity, he endured in knowledge. He tells us, number three, he endured in patience. And this word, is, he's not talking about patience in the sense of uh, patience in general, like you're waiting for a letter. Well, i got to be patient. I'm, I'm waiting to go somewhere, I have to be patient. No, this this Greek word means actually long-suffering. It's patience with people who wrong you. The thought is that of self-restraint. Which causes us to, to refrain from hasty retaliations for wrongs done against us. It's a, it's a long suffering. It means somebody has criticized you, somebody has hurt you, and you don't strike back. You're patient with them, patient when wronged. That's, that's the thought here. And the apostle Paul, certainly beyond any one of us sitting in this room today, endured all kinds of verbal abuse, physical attacks, and yet he did not retaliate. This, this is a tremendous man. This is a tremendous man. I am convinced that this is the greatest Christian who has ever lived. This is a man worthy, not of worship, but of deep respect and to follow him as he followed Christ. Paul certainly defended himself for the sake of the gospel, but he didn't strike back in personal retaliation. In fact, he told Timothy in Second Timothy at the end of chapter 2 that the servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome. He must be patient when wronged, correcting those who Who teach error and believe error. Let me tell you, one of the, one of the surest ways to bring disgrace on the ministry is to verbally attack those who attack you. It's to strike back when they, when, when you're criticized. If you can't take criticism graciously, you're going to hurt the ministry. See, when you get that kind of reputation as a person who can't handle criticism, then you are not responding. Properly, and you are not representing your Lord properly because he was so patient with those who criticized him. Remember what Peter tells us? You remember that, don't you? First Peter chapter two, verse twenty one, what Peter tells us about Jesus. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his footsteps. Now in his steps. Now he doesn't mean the example of the cross. You and I can't redeem anybody by, by dying, but he, but he left us an example of how to handle suffering. Verse 22, here's the example. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. That is to say that when you and I are criticized, and leadership just invites that, it just goes with the territory. When that happens, You and I need to respond graciously. We need to not strike back. We need to be like our Lord. Entrust yourself. Entrust yourself to Christ. He he understands and he'll judge righteously. It's what Charles Spurgeon did. He he, he didn't answer his critics. Just keep preaching the word. And I would suspect, and this might help you, if you struggle in this area and you're angry when you hear criticisms about yourself and you want to, hurt other people. I suspect that the reason Paul was so uh, patient with others is because he realized how patient the Lord was with him. And that, and that's a key. Whenever you think you've got a right to strike back at others, imagine and think about how you have insulted the Lord, how you've criticized the Lord, how you've blasphemed the Lord, how you've griped and complained, and yet he doesn't strike back at you. He responds by forgiving us and being compassionate and merciful. So whenever you think you've got a righteous cause to strike back, remember that God has been patient and continues to be patient with you. So Paul endured in purity and knowledge and patience. He also endured, he writes, in kindness. Kindness and patience tend to go together because while patience withholds retaliation, kindness just pours on goodness, acts of goodness. One is a negative The other is a positive. Some people think, well, if I don't retaliate, I'll just avoid that person. I'll just, I'll just ignore them and I'll be okay. Because if I get around them, I don't know what I'll say. Paul said, no, no, no. No, he said, you need to be kind. You need to do acts of kindness. The thought here is usefulness. Do good things to people. Don't just avoid them. But if they wrong you, do good things to them. And I think it's significant to note that Paul was a kind man. You know, we think of Paul as a great theologian, as a zealous leader. But the man was kind. He told the Thessalonians that he treated them as a as a nursing mother would treat her children. Paul was kind. And yet he, he constantly suffered. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Because when we suffer, oftentimes we become self-absorbed, don't we? Not thinking about anybody else, but what pain we're going through. And yet Paul's sufferings did not turn him inward so that he became self-absorbed, so that he became callous to the needs of others. Paul was thoughtful and kind. Now, in what way was he kind? And how can you and I be kind? What, what, is the, what does the Lord mean by kind? How do we exhibit kindness? Let's look at Luke chapter 6, because Jesus spoke about kindness, how God is kind, and where to be like, like God. In Luke chapter 6, verse 31, Jesus, this is part of the Sermon on the Mount, but we'll break in at verse 31, with what we know and we call the golden rule. Jesus said, treat others the same way you want them to treat you. If you love, now I'm at verse 32, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. He's saying, hey, that's the, that's the world's ethic. If you just love people who love you, anybody can do that. It takes no grace to do that. Like people who liked you, but but he said, it's only children of God who can love people who don't love them. He said in verse 33, if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you for even sinners do the same. If you lend to those whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. I mean that's 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 what our world is based on. You loan someone something, you get it back. That that's that's the way it is. But he says in verse 35, This is how Christians are to behave. This is the kindness he's talking about. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Just keep giving and your reward will be great. Be great from God. And then he says, and you will be sons of the most high, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. God is kind to the lost. God brings the rain and sunshine. He feeds them, gives them sleep, He clothes them. God is kind. Before you ever came to Christ, God was kind to you. And we're to be kind to others. Paul said, that's what I endured. No matter how much they inflicted upon me, I was kind. I was kind. Whatever it takes to help other people. He goes on to say in chapter 6 of Corinthians, verse 6, he said that he endured also in the Holy Spirit. That's the next statement of endurance. Now, what does he mean by this, that he endured in the Holy Spirit? He means this, that he walked in the Spirit, he enjoyed the fullness and power and joy of the Spirit by being under the Spirit's control. How do you get under the Spirit's control? You obey the Spirit's voice. What is the Spirit's voice? It's the Word of God. This is the heart of all ministry. This is what it's about. We don't serve Christ based on our natural abilities. I hope you understand that. Now God uses our natural abilities, but we don't base our service on natural ability. We depend on the Holy Spirit to empower us. We depend upon him to to do that as we minister in his name. Paul said he wrote the Thessalonians. He said, when I came to you, I, I gave a message not only in word, but in power and in demonstration of the spirit of God. We don't just minister. See, that's the great danger of serving the Lord. The great danger, at least one of them, I've said many great dangers today, but one of them is that you get so used to doing what you do that you don't need to depend upon the Holy Spirit. You're, you just have some natural abilities or experience and you don't need to do that. And that's a dangerous place to, to get in. That's, uh, if you're in that place, you need to repent of that because God's not blessing your ministry. He doesn't use, natural abilities alone. It's the anointing and empowering of the Spirit of God. If you want to have any credibility in ministry, then you have to be under the Holy Spirit's control in your own personal life, as well as uh, your obedience in in serving him. Now, let me just show you something. We've gone over this before, but I, I I know that it's always important to see this. Ephesians chapter five tells us that we are to be filled with the Spirit. That word filled means under his control, to be dominated by the Holy Spirit. And, and in the Greek language, it's moment by moment, every moment under His control. He says, verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. It's a contrast between drunkenness and being filled with the Spirit. When you're drunk, you're controlled by alcohol. When you're filled with the Spirit, you don't get any more of the Spirit, but you're under His Control. It's sort of a matter of does he have all of you? Now, whether you have all of him. Now, notice what happens, the evidence of being under his control. Verse 19, you speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There, There is a singing in your heart. You come to a worship service and you want to sing unto him or in your own personal devotions, you sing to him. He said you're singing, you're making melody with your heart to the Lord. There is a there's an attitude of just worship. Verse 20, always giving thanks, you're you're grateful. You're not griping, you're not complaining. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, even the Father, and then, he, and then he says, and you're subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So there there's a submissiveness, there's a humility. That's the evidence of being controlled by the Spirit. But watch this, how do you get this? Just a couple books over Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 16. In verse 16, Paul says, he doesn't use the expression, be filled with the spirit. He uses another expression, but the evidence that he that he said in, in uh, Ephesians 5 is the same evidence in Colossians. So it's, he's talking about the same thing. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Let God's word dwell within you and control you and, and be rooted in you. And here's the evidence. When that happens, same thing that takes place when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God, and whatever you do in, uh, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God, God the Father. And then he speaks about wives, be subject to your husbands. Uh, husbands, love your wives. It's the same stuff. the same stuff. So as you compare Scripture with Scripture, the filling of the Spirit, you, the way you are filled or controlled by the Spirit is to let the Word of Christ, which is the Spirit of God's Word, the Bible, control you dwell in you richly. That's, that's how you do it. That's the heart of all ministry. How else would he control you? How would he control? How would you be under his control except listen to him? How would you listen to him? The word of God, It's his voice. So Paul endured in purity and knowledge and patience and kindness in the Holy Spirit. And then he says he endured in genuine love. Now, this is tremendous. This is a tremendous truth. Don't, don't just overlook this. Oh, oh, sure. In genuine love. Paul had a love for people. Wasn't just, as I said before, a scholar. He loved people. But notice he says genuine love. That means non-hypocritical love. Paul did not just tell people, I love you. I love you. He didn't say, I'll pray for you. Go be warmed and uh, life is good. And I'll be on my way. Paul ministered to people. He met their needs. That's what love does. He was a man whose service for Christ was characterized by seeking the interest of others. That's what love does. This is agape love. This is the highest form of love. It, it loves not because the other person is lovely. It loves in the sense of wanting what's best for them. That's what Paul did. Anything else, just, just words. Don't, don't tell people you just love them and you don't do anything to, to help them. That's, it's very empty. Paul was not like that. He said, I, I endured in genuine love. And you know, even when he rebuked the people like the Corinthians, it was still because he loved them. He wanted what was best for them. Beloved, if you, if you want to honor Christ, In all your ministry, you have to love the people that you serve. You have to love them. Don't love them with pious words, religious cliches, but with sacrificial service and actions. That's how Paul did it. And he sets the pace for us. Let's bow for prayer. As we're quiet before the Lord, we need to respond to the word of God. Does your ministry have credibility? Does your service for Christ in whatever spirit it is, no matter how large or small it might be, does it have credibility? Paul's did. Now you can see why his ministry had credibility, because he backed up his message about Christ being able to save and transform people by demonstrating that his life had been saved and transformed. How about yours? How about yours? Do you preach a a gospel and demonstrate what you preach by your life? Is your life and ministry characterized by purity? Is there any immorality that You have to repent of. Are you pure in the area of morals? Are you pure in the area of finances? Are you pure in the in the area of integrity and keeping your word? You may think, well, others can't see me, but God sees you, and sure enough, you will be found out. God said, "Your sin shall find you out. No one can cover it up forever." Is your conscience clear in that area? How about knowledge? Are you rooted? to the word of God, is it rooted in you? Does your heart gravitate to uh, new and novel doctrines or are you grounded in the truth? How about patience? Are you patient with those who have wronged you if you've been criticized lately? You need to examine, is it true? Is part of it true? If it is, then make a change. And if not, it's okay, just trust the Lord, but uh, you need then to respond to those people in kindness. Or do you retaliate? They say something to you, you're going to say something back to them. You need to be kind. Do whatever it takes to meet their needs. Are you under the control of the Holy Spirit? It's not mystical. It's not mysterious. Are you moment by moment in obedience to the Word of God? It means you have to open your Bibles and see what the Word says. Is your ministry empowered by the Spirit of God or do you go in in sort of your own power thinking that you know what you're doing? Listen, none of us knows what we're doing. Before Spurgeon used to come to the pulpit. He used to. uh, Say to himself, I believe in the Holy Spirit, I believe in the Holy Spirit. That, That ought to be our attitude, that it's the Spirit of God who empowers us and. What about your life characterized by genuine love? Are you stuck on yourself? Or do you esteem others more important than you and you you love them and you do what you need to do to help them? This is is what we need to examine. And I'm going to give you a few moments to think about this and pray, talk to the Lord, make any adjustments. But I also want to say, as we're quiet before Christ, that if you've never been saved never been transformed by Christ, then you need him. You need need him. He doesn't need you, but he's made a way whereby you can become a child of God. He died. Christ died for your sins, all of your sins, and forgiveness is only through him. It's not through a church. It's not through baptism. It's not through good works. It's through Christ and Christ alone. Once we close the service, I'm, I'm going to just encourage you. I'll encourage you now that when we close the service, if you want to speak to one of our leaders about coming to Christ, I urge you to come up after we close the service. One of our elders will be right here at the front, and you can speak to them about Christ. They'll They'll speak to you privately about him. Let's take a few moments to meditate on these things, and then we'll close. Father, this morning, we've looked at Paul's life, we don't exalt a man, we exalt Christ. When we think of what he once was, a a Pharisee, stuck on himself, blind to the truth, consumed with a, a misdirected zeal, concerned only about external behavior. We are in awe of you that you've changed a man like this to be so pure and knowledgeable and kind and patient and loving and empowered by the Spirit. Lord, we want that in our own lives because that's what spreads the gospel in terms of of credibility. We don't want our lives to cause anyone to stumble, Lord. And we, we know it's only by your grace because in and of ourselves, like Paul, we would say we're all the chief of sinners. Lord, I pray you'll take these words and apply it to our individual lives, where we are in, in life and in the station of life and the ministry. And I pray, Lord, that we'll also be especially sensitive to missionaries and never put that kind of pressure on them. Lord, may our missionaries always be those who serve you and not the whims of people. I also pray that you'll draw to yourself those who have never experienced this transforming grace in their lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
0: Amen. When I was in college, I helped in a youth program in California. One of the high schoolers said something to me that was terrifying. She said, I want to be like you. It was an amazing compliment, but even though I was a baby Christian myself, I knew how fallible I was. I told her that she'd do better to follow Jesus. That taught me in an unforgettable way just how important it is to live a life of integrity. Thanks for listening today to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Our lesson today was the conclusion of a three-part message from 2 Corinthians chapter 6. You can ask for a free CD with all three parts by calling Lakeside at 727-441-1714 and asking for message 634 hindrances to the gospel part 4 that number again is 727-441-1714 verse by verse is listener supported thank you for your generous gifts to find out how easy it is to give online visit the giving page at our website versebyverseradio.org this is jerry peterson we've been hearing a lot so far about endurance but how can we endure we certainly can't do it on our own The news media love to alert us every time a Christian leader is caught in some egregious sin. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.